0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Borellis. Hi, I'm Patty Lepone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. For every hour and month and year that we are here to love, regardless of how much we talk, we tell, we touch, no matter what we
1: suffer through. Welcome to the theater podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host as always, Alan Seals, and that little ditty you just heard to open the episode is called Can I Ever Know You? which is from Hulu's new original music series called Up Here. Why, may you ask, did I include that song? Well, Up Here just took over the podcast for the next four episodes. This first episode is with Kristen Anderson-Lopez and Bobby Lopez, the songwriters from The Book of Mormon and WandaVision and Frozen and Coco, and, like, pretty much everything else that you love, who also wrote... 21 original new songs for Up Here. So in addition to me discovering that I'm actually neighbors with these two amazing individuals here in Brooklyn, I also discovered their love for each other, which includes a fun story of how they met, what they love about songwriting in general, and how important it is for them to create new work simply for the love of creating art they're just kind of full of love they're really nice people once you're done listening to this episode make sure you listen to the entire up here soundtrack it's just it's incredible it's the lopez's it's awesome which is out now everywhere you stream your music so now instead of my normal transition music here's a cut from another new song from up here called tiger shark
0: No more mr nice guy gotta be tough in this cruel hard world you're not going to cry the next time you watch Notting Hill. It's time to wake up, boy, and put your armor on. That pathetic little pussy with the ring is gone. You're a tiger. Let me hear you
2: roar. You're a shark. Hunting in the shallow.
1: Our two guests today, Kristen Anderson-Lopez and Bobby Lopez, are two people I have admired for an extremely long time, each incredibly talented individually. Together they have joined forces for good and co-created the music and lyrics for movies and shows such as Frozen 1 and 2, Coco, Finding Nemo the Musical, Wonder Pets, Winnie the Pooh, and WandaVision. Kristen is an Oscar and Grammy award-winning songwriter who helped create In Transit, Broadway's first ever acapella musical, and Bobby is the world's... Only official double EGOT winner who helped create Avenue Q, Book of Mormon for Broadway and has written for Phineas and Ferb, Scrubs, The Simpsons, and their latest project together has them back again, co-creating a romantic musical comedy called Up Here, which is now streaming on Hulu. Kristen and Bobby, not only do I welcome you, I bow to you. (laughs) Welcome to the theater podcast. Aw, thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you. And that was very impressive. And that was in record
2: time, too. That was incredible. But I just wanted to add that Kristen now has an Emmy after WandaVision, too.
0: Oh, yes! (laughs) Two, I found out. So actually, right now I have a double ego. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um we we randomly we did this song with the Obamas um for a Netflix show about civil liberties um and like what it was like a month ago I got a text saying you just won an Emmy um it's coming your way and and I was like what what is this Bobby? What, <laughs> <laughs> what happened Um it turns out that we were um included in the Emmy that's um, but that show won, it was like a, a television Emmy. But you
1: you don't like get a, an advance notice if like you're even nominated or you're in the running. You're just like, Oh, by the way, here's an Emmy for you.
2: I think it was given to so many people that they couldn't even, I mean, it might've gone into our spam folder. It was so many people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you get so many Emmys that this one just went to your spam. Folder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's not the, and, and I was very excited about it because then it, it, I mean, if we're playing the game of um, fill in the blanks uh, uh, of an EGOT, I, I now just need two T's, which I could hold forth for hours on why the T's are so elusive for um, someone with two X chromosomes. But, someone uh, with two
2: T's of her
1: own.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. The um, that's in another i I loved In Transit i loved in transit um oh, oh my god it's, it's and, so and wonderful I'm, I'm an acapella nerd so I, when i saw this I, of course i i coached and uh, i coached i led my own acapella group in in college yes um, so I, which I, one I, which one north nc state uh Acapology 101 so for a few years NC state? i was yeah 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 north carolina
0: i'm from north carolina too
1: yeah yeah we're gonna touch on that yeah. you're from the charlotte area Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. So you can't tell him anything about yourself that he doesn't know. Oh, (laughs) I have to pretend I don't know a lot of things. We can have the episode. No, Um, I was really excited to meet you two because uh, there's multiple opportunities that, I mean, you touch, both of you have touched everything, and you're responsible for so much of. Uh, uh, the the soundtrack of my car rides with my children, and because they're six and a half and, and eight, or yeah, almost seven wow. and eight and a half actually, they've aged now. Funny how that happens. But yeah, what a like
0: great age though. they're, I mean, that they're age obsessed. Oh, so fun.
1: They're obsessed now with Coco. Like they they saw it when it came out, forgot about it for a while, and now every car ride is is just remember me is all they that's all i'm hearing over and over again but um and i i want to get into like the love for children's music and for and for writing for that age obviously you, ha- you both have a passion for it and a huge talent for it but i guess kristen a great place to start you mentioned growing up in charlotte what was your childhood like and how did you get into a music and then b specifically was musical theater part of that or did it just fall in later <sighs>
0: Oh, gosh, there's I'm going to try and do the quick answers, because, again, I could I could hold forth on just those questions for half an hour. Um, I actually grew up in Westchester. I was born in Yonkers Yonkers. uh, and I I grew up in Westchester. And um, uh, my family, like so many families, um, we didn't have a ton of money then. But what we all had was like we were adjacent to many, many houses, all with other kids who didn't have a ton of money either. So I had this backyard repertory company um, with, with like long stretches of days with kids looking for something to do. So I used to do all these plays and musicals with them um, starring me, written by me, directed by me, uh, costumed, costumed by me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, and I just loved, I had already fallen in love with musical theater from like age two. Um, and I was that kid who for every birthday from then on asked for a cast album or asked to take the train into the city to see musicals every birthday, every Christmas. Then my family moved to North Carolina. I did, I did a lot of theater, like children's theater then. Croton Children's Theater was a big part of my summers. Uh, I did a lot of children's theater in the community. Um, And then when I moved to Charlotte, I did a lot of Charlotte Children's Theater as a teen. Um, It was sort of my mental health saving grace, actually. Um, And I I did a lot of theater at Charlotte Country Day. I could tell you that because I was female, I sort of thought, oh, I love theater. It must mean I'm an actress because hmm. I didn't see a lot of examples of female writers or female directors. Um, you know, the Tonys were, were sort of my only access to that and the cast albums and the cast albums always had like men around a piano smoking cigars, looking really worried. And so it took me a long time to realize and a lot of struggle and, uh, you know, to 20s, a lot of terrible auditions in my 20s and playing nuns in New Hampshire to realize (laughs) I wanted to do something else with this passion and this love. And I found the BMI workshop. Uh, Within three weeks, I had not only found my passion and my place in this career, but I also had met my life partner, (laughs) like my soulmate there. So it was one-stop shopping, a, a really magical, heady time.
2: Yeah, what, we, we, what, uh, we can't promise that that will happen to you, but it happened to both of us. If you join the BMI workshop, it's definitely
1: not only does it help blossom conver, uh, careers, it also acts as a dating service. Yes. I just want to rewind for a second because I don't
2: think any discussion of Kristen's musical childhood is complete without uh, touching on a little subject called Eliza Udingaling. <laughs> Kristen's adaptation of My Fair Lady that she did in fourth grade. Can you talk about that, honey?
0: <laughs> oh, thank you, honey. And then we we should focus on you. Um, but uh, when I was in fourth grade, my mom took me to a community theater production of My Fair Lady. And it must have been a Friday night. And I came home over the weekend. And from memory wrote my own version of My Fair Lady and brought in the script to my fourth grade teacher. She was an amazing, Mrs. Leibowitz. Um, She was in the open classroom. It was a very progressive wing of our school. And I was like, can we put this on? And she was the first producer that said, yes, yes, we can. Um, And she helped me get the two fourth and fifth grade classes. I cast the whole thing. We costumed the whole thing. We directed it, and yes, it is full of. It, it has a, it has a pre, a, a pre scene, um, a prelude that is Eliza as a child um, in a classroom, where I was clearly channeling my own experiences, and I changed the ending, where Eliza leaves, uh, leaves Higgins, and then goes and teaches all the Cockneys how to speak proper English. <laughs> but there was a lot of Eliza, you dingling um, throughout the whole thing. <laughs> there's everyone was calling everyone a dingling. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want?
1: Bobby, at some point, you started writing and playing Pananner and all of yes. the other things, right? So, what's your story?
2: My story is, um my parents were I think they were both sort of frustrated artists themselves, and they had this idea in their mind. they were They were both from poor backgrounds and kind of the first to go to college in both of their families. And they just had a sense that the being an artist is the best possible outcome of your life but they weren't able to do it. And um and so they they had it in mind especially my mom that anything that I was excited about that I showed uh, interest in growing up they were going to encourage me to make that my life and just really do it. So I think I got this this um unusual dose of like drive from my mom just saying like you like the piano <laughs> like I, I there was sort of a um uh false start when I was four or five, I said, I think I want a guitar. And they were like, oh, he likes the guitar. He wants to play the guitar. We're going to get you a good guitar. We're going to, we're going to buy one at the music store. We're going to get you lessons. And I was like, no, I want the one that with Mickey mouse from the drugstore. I just want a <laughs> toy guitar. I just want a plastic guitar. I loved music. I loved uh, Disney records. I had the jungle book on record. I had Cinderella. I had Mary Poppins. And um, I, I, uh, I guess we we moved to Worcester, Massachusetts randomly. My dad got a job there. And when we moved back less than a year later, it did not work out well in Worcester. We moved into this little sublet that was one bedroom and we were really kind of crammed in there and things were not going great. But there was a piano in this apartment and uh, I was about six. and. They they said this now now is probably the time we should get him we have this opportunity there's a little there's a Steinway upright in this apartment let's get him piano lessons so I started taking lessons at the Greenwich House Music School which um, is in Greenwich Village I grew up in New York City and this piano teacher said he started to teach me little lessons but you know piano little pieces and then only like a month or two in he started making me write my own songs my own music. Um, which is not the normal uh, curriculum for a, for a young piano student of not six. At all. Yeah, and so I I was he he had me you know I remember thinking like, but music comes from, you know, grown ups. Music comes from, like music is the thing that I'm trying to. read. I don't even know how to read it. How can I write it? And I'm only six. But he gave me the you know not only the confidence but the sort of like you have to do it. <laughs> um
0: and i don't want to interrupt but i would love if you were able to play it can you turn will oh, the mic pick up
2: uh maybe you
0: play it this is his first song yeah ever you still
2: memorized all of a sudden oh it's not hard to memorize <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'll just sing it without the piano because it you don't really need the piano part it went um Oy vey, what a day! The crops have not been fed. Oy vey, what a day! It's already time for bed. Um, and that because he that knew a lot song.
0: about about Jewish farming.
2: Yeah, Jewish farmers. I think it's a kibbutz. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds
1: <laughs> very yeah yeah very New York-y,
2: you know. Yeah, for a little Filipino kid, um, <laughs> rather rather hebraic
1: (laughs) your you mentioned that your parents had said that being an artist is like the greatest thing you could ever become in life which is such uh an unusual thing for parents to say who want their children to have a success a monetarily successful uh (laughs) (laughs) chance in life right they
2: wanted that too and that was their that's what messed me up so much because i was like okay i have to be a musical theater composer and i have to make money you know, make a living doing it. How is this ever possibly going to work out? I think I'm, I think I'm, this is like a suicide mission.
1: Well, so then you got together at the BMI workshop and, uh, I mean, Kristen, the way you, you, kind of paraphrased it or maybe this is literally what happened you're like three weeks later i met my soulmate, and then all you know the rest is history but like when you met each other were was that a, a chance or did you like was it a a west side story moment where your eyes locked across the room and the world stood still and all the dancing slowed down or were you like given an assignment and you're like whoa this other person i can work with them this is really awesome
0: gosh well, and this is a good segue to talk about up here too because i, I think It happened in the fall of 1999. And if you remember correctly, we were all really worried about Y2K. Yeah. That like everything was going to end. And even though like intellectually we were like, yeah, 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 um, uh, there was this thought of like, oh, things could go crazy. Who knew it was going to happen instead like 20 years later? Um, But they were painting the picture that like the world was going to end. So it, it's i think something in me also that story drove me to really take a long look at my life and change it um like i kind of i had been in a in a relationship that was really not going anywhere um and i had gotten out of that this summer the summer before i met bobby i'd had some time to see what it was like to be single in new york not very much but long enough to know like oh This is hard. And in walked this really cute, really talented guy. Um, He was performing the first song from Avenue Q that had ever been performed publicly with his partner, Jeff Marks. Um, But Jeff was at the piano and Bobby was playing Kate Monster with a red orange wig because Bobby had just been bitten by a dog. Um, Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes, I it, and, and it it had gotten infected, so I couldn't play the piano.
0: Oh, um, oh it, okay. Yeah. So, because Bobby usually is at the piano, um, but I, afterwards, I mean, I really did sort of have this like electric charge of thinking, like, is that who I'm going to marry? I had been told by a palm reader in New Orleans like two years before that she she was like you're a writer and you're going to meet someone of undisclosed ethnicity and i can't tell if it's a club or a class but you're going to meet him at the time i was not a writer i didn't even know i was a writer i was I, I, at the time i was like a failed actress working with schizophrenic patients at the bronx va and with a boyfriend who i thought i was going to marry but 2 years later here was this here was this thing coming true so um, uh,
2: so either uh, palm readers know the future,
1: or Kristen just does whatever they say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's so no way I'm, to know.
1: I'm reading your palm right now, and I see two T's in your future. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: again, it's uh that we should all we should all wish to have two T's. So yeah, we met. Bo- I met Bobby in 1999. I can't say that it was an easy. We had an easy first two years of it either. There were, mm. we have relationship 1.0, relationship 2.0, and relationship 3.0. And I would say, like, even in our marriage, I, while technically we call it, it's still in relationship 3.0, but like, wouldn't you say we're at like 50.7 at this point? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I think that, and moving to the theme of up here, really, like, I think you, um, you're always. Re establishing your relationship, you're always creating a new connection because as you go through life, you go through changes. You and if you're communicating well, you're um, you're constantly kind of meeting this next person that's coming, that's that's being born, that's being that you know, that that's created. You can never really know what someone else is thinking, and um, that's kind of what uh, up here is about. It's a, um, and it was what what we were thinking about at the time. It's hard to know. If you could see into someone's head, um, then maybe you'd really you'd really be able to know them. But since you can't, how can you possibly ever communicate? Well, if you have the kind of relationship that Kristen and I have, you get to spend every day kind of uh, trying Working again. Working on a
0: musical. Yeah. <laughs> Working on a musical about it. Because, um, you know, I think something that we've learned. We're we're about to celebrate our twentieth anniversary. Congratulations. Um, wedding anniversary, but um, something I've learned is that every time I learn something new about Bobby, every time we like peel back one more layer, it's, it, it's kind of a new relationship. It's a deeper relationship. Um, and sometimes that layer wasn't there. If we hadn't made each other grow too, that's yeah. the other thing It's like we in being in relation so much, we actually create new versions of each other.
1: I think it was Esther Perel who you know famous relationship psychologist who said who said that most people in life uh get married multiple times uh you're just lucky if you could do it to the same person (laughs) right Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) (laughs) right so like every time you change you need to you need to make the effort to come back together and and i was going to say that that You know, I've done literally 250, um, gosh, probably 280 episodes now on this podcast or so, including the bonuses and everything. And what I've been learning is that going through the creation of a show, whether the creatives have more of a trauma than the actors do sometimes. And it is a bit of a trauma It's because it's so much stress often. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. And for you to have the the stress of a relationship, your standard relationship living in New York City, which isn't easy in and of itself, and you've got two children, and because being a parent is not easy by any any stretch of the imagination, and you now have the pressure. It's it's you've always got this pressure, right? I, I assume to outdo what you did the last time and just be that much better and that much better. And then when we're talking, I mean, the level at which we are talking now seems it's unfathomable to me and for for you to be able to i guess go through project after project and still come out stronger i feel like is every project kind of like therapy for the two of you like like couples therapy so that you are you're talking about what's important to you and i I imagine i go back to coco again like you're talking about the, the meaning of death and the afterlife and then frozen is love for a sibling and you've got uh i mean I, I'll stop rambling because no, I could yeah. go on forever, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? I feel like you're, yeah. you've chosen everything complicated to do together and are still weathering it perfectly. <laughs> I mean,
0: I wouldn't say perfectly.
1: Either. <laughs> no, but. no, no. We are
2: not, we're not putting ourselves out as, as any kind of a um, example of how to do it, but um, we've been muddling through and we've had highs, we've had lows, we've Worked well together. We've driven each other crazy. We've done all of that, and um, and we've gotten, you know, we've gotten to to have some real highs. Like we were watching the Oscars just last night, and we looked over each other at one point. And we were like, "We did that. We like we won an Oscar together. We did it. We 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 did it twice. That's isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it was weird, and I was so I was so grateful that we weren't there last night because. At the same time, our bank failed Ooh. last night. <laughs> um, so we were we were literally dealing with whether we. Uh, were paupers and had lost our entire life savings last night. At, and Kristen started America.
2: singing the Apple um, Seller song from Annie. No,
0: today we're living in the shanty. Today we're scrounging for a meal. I was totally sort of like, that's the song I always skip on the album of Annie. Um, but that's the context I have for what we are, are currently dealing with while watching, you know, um, the Cocaine Bear and Elizabeth Banks. Um it was quite a moment last night um and i guess that's that's the that's the part of the um amazing plot of the musical of our lives is that we never know what's coming we never know like it, is steven levinson writing this um <laughs> <laughs> uh who is who's is our amazing amazing co-writer on mm-hmm. up here and other projects, but the the plot twists keep coming, and we sure didn't see that one last night.
1: Oh no. my goodness! Yeah,
2: yeah, that's that was a shot of cortisol that just mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, chilled the night out for for a second. But um, yeah, what you were saying before about about project after project after project, and and feeling um, scared to, you know try and make the next one better or top. I think, I think you sort of answer that question for us in that we don't, we try not to think about that. That's really kind of a mindset that will get you nowhere of uh, how do I top what I just did. It's, it's really about telling, putting, you know, finding a project being lucky enough to have the luxury to wait for a project, uh, Uh, or choose or like invent a project that is about the things that you most want to talk about at that time and the two of us are lucky enough to sort of have a similar point of view on life on the the part of life that we're going through at the time like finding nemo the musical for uh, we did for um walt disney's animal kingdom might be like just any job for someone else but for us we were really writing about becoming parents. We had just gotten married. Mm-hmm. Kristen was pregnant, and and we wanted to put everything we felt about you know all the fear and all the love and all the the wonder that we felt about bringing a new a new life into the world. And um, it, it's a privilege to be able to do that. Pretty much on any project that that we do, you know, Coco, like you said, is about is about your family and and the. Death being like a family reunion in a weird way, the idea of Dia de los Muertos being a, a family reunion. And what a what a comforting thought as your grandmother is is passing it's away. Starting
0: to fade. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, you know, the remember me was also fully um us channeling what it was like to be bicostal parents a little bit. Um in order to do what we were doing at the time we had to leave our children behind so we actually would create these original lullabies that we sang to them every night and we would create songs that when we were on the west coast my two sisters who were 14 years younger than me um and still are um <laughs> <laughs> uh, how time works like that yes uh they would babysit and we would leave them with these songs so that w- there was a piece of mom and dad um, at bedtime even though we couldn't be there and we had rules about never going away more than two nights and three days um, at a time, because it just never worked well after if we left for too long. Um, and we lived in that space of like the traveling musician for a lot of years too. And, you know, Frozen, I, I, a lot of Frozen was also about s- female power and finding your power and learning how to, you know, at as we were writing Frozen, um, Bobby had sort of been the one whose career had really taken off uh, more than mine, for many reasons that we could talk about w- regarding unconscious bias, and also Bobby starting when he was eleven and me figuring out I was a writer when I was twenty-seven. Um, but smash the patriarchy, uh, <laughs> yes. But Frozen was was about Jen Jennifer Lee, who uh, we were also lucky enough to work with we were finally given a seat at the table, but what does it feel like to start to own it? What does it feel like? Like it's kind of lonely too. Um, And it's more powerful if people around you accept you and don't make you feel quite so isolated. Um, So there was a lot we were putting, we, we put a lot of ourselves in it. At the same time up here, especially is not us. People might think it is, but it's, Definitely not. They're definitely characters written by a whole amazing writing room. Um, and yes, we put a lot of our emotions and our experiences in it, but it's not us.
1: So uh, up here, it's interesting um, because it's set in 99, which I think adds a level of of fun and unknown to the dating scene, as we kind of touched on in the beginning, because Ninety nine was kind of like those final years before everyone had a computer stuck in their pocket and could communicate twenty four seven. So like the scene in one of the early episodes where they're just like calling each other on the phone. I remember in high school, right? I was just, I, I would talk hours and hours and hours on the phone, and my parents would pick up and be like, "Get off the phone! I need to get the phone!" Right? <laughs> like, like, like that's just that's part of of. Oh, gosh, I mean the age we are, we grew up analog and became digital. And it's such a unique experience that no one else is gonna have. And I think it's been Isn't it so
2: much it's so much more human than texting. Like to be able to yeah. to be to, to linger on the phone and then to have your dad jump on and 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 totally embarrass you. Um, like that's there's something so sweet about that. Um Actually, there's there is a population that 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 has that exists without the technology, and it's I think it's people in prison. I think we we might have we might we might look to them,
1: <laughs> you know. And it's it's really interesting. And this is nothing against probably everyone who won a an Oscar last night. Uh, is that people who are our parents age or a little older than us who were already popular when digital became a thing had an assistant to do everything for them and they don't they don't know how to turn on computers i've i've also helped run podcast sessions with major league baseball players talking about broadway and they're like what what is this usb thing that i'm holding like 40 something (laughs) year old retired mlb player doesn't know how to plug in a usb uh camera so everybody's wow. got different ranges yeah it's different um up here it, it's it was it started as an original musical like a uh, stage play that you wrote that i think it was in in 2015 it debuted right and alex timbers was the, timbers was the original director yes the amazing um, alex timbers uh, uh, phenomenal
0: we we he's a phenomenal human being and director and we were so lucky to to have him as we were developing this concept. We pushed it out into the world to see what it was going to be. Um and looking back, I wish we'd had a little like a smaller workshop and and kind of hadn't hadn't just gone like let's go big or go home at that moment. Um well, at the same moment, time, no regrets.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that that moment we had been working on it for many, many years uh, at that point, and um, a lot of a lot of those years we couldn't get the project done because it was ambitious. It was big. It was a it was a it was a large cast. It was a large orchestra, and we had only ever done kind of relatively small shows. Even Book of Mormon is not as big as the show we were envisioning, um, and we you know we were still up and comers. You know that no one was going to just sink. tons and tons and tons Mm -hmm. of money into uh into this kind of crazy show and it was crazy it was different very different than the um the tv show that we've that we've arrived at, which is I, in the end, I think, you know, we think is much better. You know, we were, we had thought of all these crazy, it was, we were almost thinking of it as like a, a world building, a universe inside someone's mind and all of the feelings were kind of uh, imagined as fantastical characters, some of whom were puppets and effects and echo voices and all this crazy, it's almost like a, like a, a British mega musical kind of um, style. Right.
0: We had a character called the fog uh, <laughs> that was just fog. That no, was like a <laughs> depression,
2: was, kind of despair. Depression. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but the, you know what? It's hard to clear fog out. Uh, like you can't move fleetly <laughs> when right, you yeah. have a character you can write it. But what we learned when we actually um, put it on its feet is that it Theater and it's theater is very hard to move quickly, um, and that's why TV ended up being the right place for up here because um, thoughts come in quickly. They don't have to do set costume changes, and you don't have to push a big set piece on stage. You can, in a minute, have a thunderstorm in your head, and then in a second later, the, something can happen, and the thunderstorm is gone. And you can do that with. TV. Um, also,
2: and- because in it, it's, it was always a romantic comedy. The story is now very different, but it's still a romantic comedy. And what we found after we put the first version up on its feet was, gee, the audience wants to go into her mind as well, but we only go into his mind. And um, the, when we 5 years later when we kind of started to take a look at it again with Tommy Kale and Stephen Levinson we all agreed this is the perfect way to go to be able to go into both characters minds.
0: Yeah, I was Turns I was going to see Go ahead. Want to hear what women's are thinking too.
1: <laughs> Strange <laughs> how that happens. Strange. It's amazing. Yeah. No, I I, I was going to bring it up that yeah, the original production I thought was only going in like the the male uh protagonist anti-protagonist yeah the male lead was the only one that it really focused on and i love now in in the current version the hulu series that we we see both of them and i think it it a humanizes uh like you said people want to hear from the 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 female lead but then the male lead has emotions too to acknowledge that everybody is flawed and everybody has these issues and you should need to talk with for, to both sides. I think it's just so brilliantly done. So you both are executive producers on this as well, right? Is this the first time you've EP'd anything? Yeah, was, we yes.
2: have never, we've worked in television before, but we've never really seen how the sausage gets made. And um, it was a, I think you have to be an EP if you want to create a TV show. You can't just be the songwriter because the songwriter doesn't participate in the writers room and doesn't participate in the post production uh side of things and doesn't necessarily even show up on the set so we were in this with this show we were in all of those places and it was a eye opening how hard it was to to um to assemble like it's it's a completely different process to put them together a live action uh TV musical as opposed to an animated film musical or a Broadway show. Those two things are more like each other than than television.
1: Really?
0: We, we were so lucky to have Tommy Kale, the world's, like, I mean, Hamilton. Um, brilliant Tommy Kale with his incredible taste and his incredible executive functioning, um, and Stephen Levinson, and they had worked together on Fosse Verdon which is our favorite TV show. If there's a president and vice president of the Fossey Verden fan club, it's the two of us. (laughs) So, um, getting to work with them on this live television thing we were making, um, was a dream come true. At the same time, we didn't realize that it was going to be a 16 hour a day dream every day, (laughs) like no days off for months between, um, producing 18, 21 songs, um, like completely you know recording writing them recording them producing them filming them and then editing it all in post um was like going to grad school wow it was it, it was hard and it was wonderful
2: in theater and in animation you kind of test the songs you test the whole thing out iteratively, you get to you get to see a reading in theater and in animation, you screen the film multiple times and change it every time you new screen it. So you know, when you record the songs for real, you know that they work, you've you've seen them work. Whereas for television, there's no development process similar to that. And you kind of hold hands, you make the cast album before anyone has said a line of dialogue or put on a single costume. And you um you fix it in post. There was nothing to I mean, it was it, it did work because we have brilliant collaborators and and we kind of knew where we were headed, we all knew what we wanted to make, but man, it was scary to record those songs uh before we even started shooting.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I was about to ask, ask what Sorry. was how do you know a song is done? Because if you're going over and over and over again, when are you like, that's it, all right, send it send it to the print, send it to the, the, the newspaper to be printed.
0: Well, um, one of my favorite parts of the television process is that we were very, very active in the writer's room with all of the, which was all on Zoom because we were still very deep in the pandemic. Um, but we were tapping in and, and hanging out with these people all day and sharing stories and helping to break the story. And so one of the first steps was getting to a point where an episode was was starting to congeal and sometimes the song would come before the scenes around it. Sometimes the scenes would come before the song, but we were very chicken and egg there. And so a song felt done in in step one, when the, um, when Danielle and Steven and Tommy and the writers all said like, oh yeah, that's right. That's good. Um, then in step two, it was done when the actors really found their groove and their performances, and we comped each one of their takes and, and tuned it. That was step two where it felt done. Step three is when you film all those pieces and you start to feel like, okay, did we cover everything? Did we get everything? But it's still not really done then. Then in post, and this is the other thing that I found as an artist I love about television, that's when it's done. That's when you take all of these pieces together. And yes, sometimes you cut a verse. Sometimes you take huge dance dance uh, breaks that you thought were so great on the day and everyone was so excited and they just don't work. And you have to cut out a two minute dance break and figure out how to how to glue them together in a way that no one knows that's missing. Um, sometimes you're adding more vamps so that you can add a line in ADR. It's a really an ADR is when you record after it's all been filmed. So it's it's really fun to see the magic of post and the and the magic editors can do, which you cannot do in a stage musical. Is that easier
1: or harder than doing something with an animated movie? Because a- animation, you have to plan everything out exactly, and then. Once it's, I guess, once it's storyboard locked, then you go and animate it. Is that? Yeah, I mean,
2: you 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 get to work with these artists in animation, um, where you, I guess, you have, depending on how far along the movie is, sometimes you're just kind of blue skying a song, that then someone then you see everything you came up with in the lyrics. Finds its way into these beautiful um, sketches that they start out on, and if that works, if that if that works when they put it into the context of the larger thing, and sometimes all you're watching is just pencil sketch, storyboard art, and and um, temp dialogue, temp you know synthesizer orchestrations or piano demo um, with our voices. um, If that works, then you start to then then that scene might get locked. And put into production, and you watch the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the um, different stages of animation, and it's just a joy to, once the thing, once you know the thing works in the rough form, you're kind of pretty sure it's going to work even better when they put color and beautiful animation and all this acting that gets added once the animators get their hands on it.
0: Uh, I was just going to add the that animation is super iterative, similar to theater. Where you have like you do a workshop, um, you you sense what the audience is feeling. You get notes. You go away for a couple months. You rewrite. You do another workshop. Uh, you know you do that with animation. You get like six six different screenings where you're totally rewriting the whole thing as you go. Um, with a show, it can take seven years. With TV, you get it all up first, um, and then you piece it together in post.
2: And and the relationship with the actors is different because in a TV show these are the only people that are ever going to be playing these characters, and they're not like in animation where they're coming in on a day and doing some recording and then they go home. And uh, this is these are people who are there every day, just like you, every day of filming, and they are your collaborators essentially. We had we were really lucky because we got May Whitman, who uh, Tommy was brilliant to to bring in to work on this. She's just so good, and no one knows how good she is as a singer um, yet. I'm just excited for people to see that. And then we were lucky to cast uh, Carlos Valdez, and he he's a, an undiscovered musical theater, um, you know, triple threat, triple threat, amazing, amazing actor and and a star. Honestly, he's a, mm-hmm. I think he's a star. And the two of them together had all this chemistry that that we couldn't even have planned for. So uh, it was it was just exciting to get to see this magic happen with actors and. Be able to, and they, honestly, they influenced it as much as any of us EPs did. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful thing.
0: And they are they are leaders as well. And which like May just is such a force of positivity and like really believed in this project. And another strange thing about TV before, other than musical theater or versus musical theater in the room, is that your actors are your first audience. Hmm. Really, like other than the writer's room, the writer's room is your first audience, I guess. Then the, your actors are your next audience. And they they help shape. Like, I really believe in this line. Help me understand this line. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and then the people on set are like who basically you're your crew you're filming. Your crew is your next audience. Um, and you, you you have these small audiences that are also making it with you.
2: And And by the way, got to say. Tommy Kale puts together a great crew like I don't, mm-hmm. Tommy just brought in the best the best people it was so much fun to just go to work we never get to go to work with other people we just <laughs> kind of sit here in our office together and um, I, I guess yes, we are technically other people but
0: we are I guess um, we're right now um, we're doing this podcast we have offices um, across from each other there's like a three- foot hallway between us. Um, and that was a huge moment in our marriage and our collaboration when we each got our own room uh, because we were working all the time in the same room in the basement of our house uh, for a couple of years. And that was bad. That was really bad. <laughs>
1: windows <laughs> even just to feel like you're not prisoners with each other.
2: Well, there were yeah. windows, but it, they looked out into a basement pit uh, into a with pit. a
1: shaft of light. fair very fair no the the cast actually you touched on that was great i mean carlos and may as the leads are incredible and then then there's like some known broadway people in there like katie Finnerin, andrea burns of course brian stokes mitchell plays this outrageous character i love i love stokes in this i love everybody but you've got this wonderful mix of of people who are known and not known for their singing ability and how much of uh, how much, I guess, input did the two of you get into the final casting decisions uh, as as EPs? Because um, Kristen, you also mentioned uh, Danielle a second ago. Is Danielle Sanchez Winsol, which is another Winsel. EP, when, and then Stephen Levinson. So the four of you are the EPs, right? So w- was there is there like a, a head boss EP, or were you all equal, or like how much input did you have in the various aspects of the production?
2: Stephen is the showrunner, which is it's so weird. It's like. You never will see that credit in the um, in the in in the credits on screen. But it's a it's a, it's a position that's in every TV show. And it's just sort of agreed that this person is the showrunner. So Stephen was our, our fearless leader and kind of had the it, it, when the buck had to come had to stop somewhere, it stopped with Stephen um, and thank God, because he has done a lot of great work in television and kind of knew what was coming. In a way that Kristen and I certainly didn't, um, and uh, the guy has so much um, intuition when it comes to music and musical storytelling. He just he just knows when to bring in a song, how to set it up, um, and very often we were like, "What do you think it should be called, Stephen? How should it go?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Stephen. Stephen is also yeah, thinks like a songwriter, writes like a like a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright. playwright um and and tommy obviously is uh kind of masterful at casting um but yeah we would all sit in the room we all were we all did the bulk of the casting very democratically um where where we would sort of all put forward our favorite people and see where those overlapped and then I think Bobby and I knew often to defer to Stephen and Tommy on on decisions that, um, that were like a tie, like let's call it for tie, as long as the singing was strong. Um, and I think Stephen and Tommy knew to d- defer to us when things were going to be m- big musical decisions. Um, so there was a lot of respect for the areas of expertise we each have. And Danielle Sanchez-Witzel, was the only one who came in with a uh, 30-minute sitcom um, experience. So we also knew when we needed to turn and go, like, Danielle, how, do, how, how does this work? What do we have to do here?
2: Yeah, the four, the other four of us were like, well, we've, we've watched a lot of sitcoms. We kind of know what we're doing right. And she'd, <laughs> she'd be like, no. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it, there's so much. It's so weird when you think you know what something is, but all you've ever done is been a consumer of it uh there's there's this ocean of stuff you need to learn and it's smart to it's smart to include someone that
1: knows it i know we are coming up on time and i, I real quick i just want to touch on wandavision because what you just said reminded me of a question i had about that is is everything that um are most things that, that you've written up here included the songs progress the story it's a uh, um it's a through line right the songs are there for mm-hmm. a purpose to push the story forward and which is kind of contrary to WandaVision which you get to take the same song and write it however many different ways for each of the different decades that the episode started again because that was that was the uh I guess the sitcom aspect right of of all of this so did you have did you enjoy that in a different way more or less than than writing a whole big picture or was it just something different you're like all right I did that that's cool
2: I mean, it was, we always say that it was sort of the most fun we've ever had working on anything because WandaVision really, um, uh, you know, didn't require us to to do the sit in the writer's room, sit with our collaborators for years and years, hashing out the story. Um, they They had done that apart from us and they had this genius idea of how to use music and they kind of Planned out most of what they needed, and they they were able to just tell us what they needed, and and we got to sort of listen to their pitch, riveted. And then Kristen and I are both, I mean, especially Kristen, just like brought up on TV from the seventies, and that the seventies seventies television included all of sixties and fifties TV, and and you know, and then in the eighties we 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 watched it all um, after school, and then in the nineties we kind of didn't watch TV. <laughs> Honestly, but um, but we- right,
0: and the 90s, the 90s song was the hardest one for us to crack. But um, you know, I grew up and these songs live in my body because if you were sick, you started the day like your mom would put you in front of the TV and you'd start the day with I Love Lucy and My Three Sons, and then by By three o'clock, you were watching Brady Bunch. By four o'clock, you were starting to watch like Three's Company. And um, and then in the evening, you were watching Family Ties and Growing Pains. Um, So this just lived in me. And honestly, we would wake up every day. We wrote all of those songs in. Two weeks Wow Um, Because I would wake up Every single day Going like I know what I'd go in the shower And I'd be like I have our 60s song um, Or (laughs) I have our 70s song Um, And it was so much fun To do the demos Like we'd write it In the morning Send the demo by 2pm And get it approved By 5pm And then start On the next decade It was a A fun puzzle And we would have done it We would have done it For free Like as a party game
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> also for but, <laughs> the social the social capital we got from it with our kids who love right. marvel and they were like wow you guys are doing that awesome but then um the, it's funny the 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 song that was the most of most breakouty of all of the songs was the one that was most musical theaterish honestly i think it was you know Catherine han singing agatha all along at a moment where we were you were learning oh she's the villain um it actually that song did bring the story forward and um, uh, gave gave us a, a new villain song in a, in a cool way. And I don't think we were even aware that we were creating a villain song when we wrote it. We thought, oh, we were trying to do kind of a theme song, but um, but it functioned as a, a villain reveal. And and I think that's why that song was popular.
0: You know, I and as long that. as we're talking about Catherine Han, uh, we should also add that one of the great gifts of our, if we're looking at our whole career, is the many brilliant performers who have taken things that we write in that room where Bobby is right now um, and record, uh, and then they make it their own. So, you know, there is no Let It Go without Adina Menzel. There's no First Time in Forever without Kristen Bell or mm-hmm. In Summer without Josh Gad and, you know, Catherine Hahn is a huge part of that alchemy um, of what made Agatha all all along go viral. Um, And I truly believe that May and Carlos are, you know, a vital, vital piece of if people respond up here, it's because they bring so much humanity and so much of themselves to these words and notes that we write.
1: I agree. Like, you have to it's the full package that has to make it to the screen or to the stage or whatever it is and and uh putting so much truth into the words and the songs is is where it has to start and you guys are just brilliant you're both brilliant with that um, we didn't even get a chance to talk on the the love for children's music or that age and uh, gosh hopefully there will be a part two for your next project we can continue this conversation but I want to wrap up here with um, the three standard closing questions I ask everybody and I'll ask you both uh, Kristen let's we'll start with you what motivates you
0: what motivates me um, I, I think what motivates me the most is I when I'm going through something I really want to share it and connect with people. Um and so I have found this career that allows me to take things that I care about really deeply and and they're they're so big that I need to sing them. <laughs> I need to write them so other people can sing them. So I think it is this like giant well of um human need for connection that motivates me.
2: Bobby I would say lots of things too, but I think in the end, I'm just trying to get better, and I, I have this deep need to get better. And every project, I'm just, uh, you know, when we rewrite songs, I have this rule: no rewrites and let that don't make the song better, which is a weird, <laughs> a weird rule. And then I, you know, I feel the same way about myself. I just have to keep getting
1: better. I, I want right, to get, get good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're pretty much there. Um, okay, so what advice would you give to your younger self, Bobby, and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? All right, so um, what I usually say and and
2: have to keep repeating to myself and sometimes to others is that people like me who are sort of high achievers, or overachievers, um, in that do well in school, um, I I always thought I had to do it alone. I had to I had to um, if I got help from anyone else, that would be cheating. Um, But the lesson that I keep learning and the main lesson of my life is, is that, um, nothing gets made by one person and it's all, it's all in some sense a group effort. And the key to it is listening and allowing, uh, other people's voices to join with yours and, and knowing also when to, to let your voice, um, shine. So it's, uh, that's, that's, I say learn how to collaborate, learn how to work with people.
1: Mm. Kristen?
0: I would say that mine is is that every single person has a voice and something to say, um, because nobody else on this planet or who has ever existed has your experiences, your memories, your entire dictionary of the language that you use, the way that you see the color blue. Everything is uniquely yours and so you don't have to try and be somebody else to to have something fresh to say you just kind of need to go to the piano or the page or the canvas and just pour a little bit of your own truth onto it it doesn't need to you don't need to work so hard and you don't have to wait until you feel like you are Sondheim or uh you know Gandhi you just you, you you just have to be you and own your truth and find a way to get it out of you
1: well Gandhi was an incredible songwriter so I can see, that. <laughs> I can see the okay. um so then Bobby I'll go back to you if you can only see one show for the rest of your life but you can see it as many times as you want what would you see you mean a, a Broadway musical interpret it as you will <laughs> um because
2: I think I would watch the first four seasons of the office?
1: <laughs> American or British? American. Yes. <laughs> Kristen.
0: Oh, you know what? I this is a lazy answer because I just spent the last weekend watching my daughter in 25th annual Putnam County spelling bee and the I, we she did it four times and we watched it four days in a row. Um, and I could have watched that show for another twenty five years. I loved it so much because there's always something new. They're always pulling up new people from the audience. Um, the the they're riffing at the table, so there's always something new to come, but those songs are so it's quirky and truthful and weird and lovely. And there's oh, so much heart there.
1: I love that. All right. So, everyone, check the show notes. I'll drop in the link for where to grab up here. Watch it on Hulu. And then, uh, both of you, where can we find you online on social media? Kristen?
0: Uh, you can find me at Lyra Kristen, spelled like lyricist, but with K R I S T. No, K R I S and ten. That's hard. You'll find me. Oh, Look me <laughs> up. Um, and I just, I I just started a TikTok um, because I have I'm on TikTok, but only to stalk my own children to make sure that what they're posting is appropriate. Yeah. But now I'm going to start sharing some content from up here. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at Kristen Ampersand Lopez. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. That's where you can find me and Facebook. <laughs> Bobby, what about you? Uh,
2: I'm, I'm mostly off social media altogether, but I, you. I reactivated my Facebook account to use these fancy sunglasses. Kristen got me that take video um, and you need to have a Facebook account to use them. So it worked on me, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. You get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. I don't know what I'm doing on any of them. Leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. And Bobby and Kristen, thank you both so much. This has been such an honor meeting you. I'm really happy that you joined oh, us thank today. Thank
0: you. Thanks, Thanks for the wonderful us. conversation. Amazing
1: questions. You're really great. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm hmm. And to take us out, here is the end of Can I Ever Know You? Of course, available now. I've said it at the beginning, I'll say it here at the end. Go stream this soundtrack, it's incredible. Here you go. (laughs) So <laughs>